So thanks uh, for, for coming to uh, Enterprise ENT 210, uh, our data transfer services session. Uh, my name is uh, Mark Trimichard. I run uh, the technical business development team for storage. Uh, so that's across all of our storage services, and we'll talk a little bit about what those are. Uh, but it ranges from our EFS, EBS, uh, our object storage, including S3 and Glacier, all the way through ingest. And so this session, so that you know you're in the right one, uh, is how to get large amounts of data uh, into AWS so that you can take advantage of all the different uh, services that we have to offer. So we're going to go through uh, the range of service offerings uh, that we've had, uh, go through some customer use cases today, uh, and then also uh, talk a little bit, uh, do a little deeper dive on some of the new services that uh, enhancements to existing services uh, that we announced uh, just this week. And again, to keep it kind of fun and interactive, I'm going to be handing out a couple of prizes along the way uh, for uh, as we'll put uh, some spot quizzes uh, in uh, in the presentation. And uh, so hopefully you'll be paying attention and it won't put you to sleep and uh, you'll get something out of this session today. Uh, and please, at the end, uh, if you do or don't, and hopefully you will get something out of the session today, please uh, fill out your, uh, your form uh, and rate the presentation. We're always interested in feedback. Um, so... When we think about storage at AWS, and I think you saw Andy's presentation this morning, we think of storage as really the foundation and entry into all the different services that we offer at AWS. Because once you have data uh, in AWS, then you can take advantage of um, Elastic Compute, all the different range of 70-plus services that, uh, that we offer uh, in, uh, in uh, our portfolio today. Uh, and so storage, I think about storage as really having four legs of the stool, uh, table, uh, couch, whatever has four legs, unless you're sitting on a three-legged chair. But there are really four areas that we think about in terms of storage. Uh, so for those of you that come out of enterprise, traditional enterprise storage like I do, uh, you, we have the equivalent of uh, enterprise storage. So uh, EBS is our block storage. So you think about uh, traditional SAN uh, or local attached storage. That's our elastic block store. Uh, and then also uh, we introduced earlier this year EFS, which is our managed elastic file, uh, that's NFS v4, v4.1, fully managed, uh, very scalable, on-demand, uh, elastic file system uh, that's offered. Uh, and again, those are kind of the equivalents for customers that are moving and beginning their journey into AWS. Uh, EFS and EBS represent great kind of entry points because it's really easy to lift and shift workloads uh, to take advantage of what they've been doing already, which is taking advantage of SAN and NAS in their environments, and then moving that into, uh, into AWS. When you think about really kind of the scalable uh, internet storage solutions and think about taking advantage uh, of AWS uh, and, and the cloud, though, you really want, you're really starting to think about our object storage. So that's the third leg of the stool. So we have Amazon S3. We have a middle tier uh, of, what's, uh, anybody know what the middle tier is called? That's one of them. There's, a, there's another one. Uh, what's, there's a middle tier between S3 and S3IA. Or I said it, so, uh, so yeah. <laughs> S3IA. S3 and S3 infrequent access for less frequently uh, accessed data. I'll give my hand, I'll give myself a hat. Hang on. I don't, you know, I don't look good in the hats. I'm just my ears and my head's too small, so I hope uh, uh, we'll pass it out. We'll, we'll make it up in a minute. Uh, but there's S3, S3 infrequent access for less frequently accessed data. Uh, and then uh, we have, uh, obviously, Glacier. We've made some really interesting uh, announcements uh, um, over the last week with Glacier. Uh, so Glacier now has, uh, before, Glacier is our tape alternative for archive. 
So the idea is if you're currently have an on-prem on LTO tape library shipping off tapes to uh, Iron Mountain or have an on-prem you know, on library that you want to uh, and perhaps have it a cloud equivalent for, we introduced Glacier a few years ago in 2012, uh, and the access time for that was three to five hours uh, to be able to get your, your data back. Uh, and what we did uh, last week, I don't know if you caught it, but we introduced uh, two things. One, we reduced cost on Glacier. We reduced it from seven-tenths of a cent to four-tenths of a cent for major public regions. Uh, and then secondly, uh, the cool thing is we introduced two new retrieval options for Glacier. So those two new options allowed a fast, or what we call expedited, retrieval tier. And that allowed customers now, like yourselves, to be able to access Glacier data in one to five minutes rather than waiting three to five hours. Uh, and for that, we charge a little bit more uh, to access the data. So that's three cents per gig uh, versus the one cent per gig for the standard Glacier. And then the opposite end, we also introduced a bulk retrieval tier. And so customers who have big data applications, I work a lot with media customers, and a lot of the examples here that we'll talk about today are moving large media files or large amounts of data. So I think this next tier, the bulk retrieval tier, is super interesting uh, to a lot of customers because that allows customers now for about an eight to 12 hour SLA to retrieve large amounts of data petabytes, be able to say perform transcode an entire library, uh, and we're only going to charge a quarter uh, of a penny for that retrieval versus a penny for, uh, per gig. So we, we've ex really expanded the options for Glacier for that archive use case, uh, and uh, that's opening up a whole host of new opportunities for our customers. So the area in the fourth leg of the school I want to spend the rest of the time and the rest of the presentation on today uh, is the ingest uh, uh, leg, if you will. Uh, so we have a number of new announcements and a number of existing services, and I want to go through each one of those services to help you understand what your options are to get data uh, into AWS uh, and then make use of these different storage tiers and different range of services that we have. So the first is over the Internet. So obviously uh, having a, um, a solution like S3 uh, and uh, all of our solutions, uh, you want to be able to take advantage of uh, being able to just access over the Internet versus uh, other solutions. So the obvious thing is getting, it, getting data in over the Internet and Internet VPN link. So it's globally available. Uh, it's the default method for ingesting content into S3. Uh, you have a really simple connection. It's available in a VPC. Uh, and data transfer in, uh, and I, I think this is something that's uh, uh, maybe not known to a lot of folks, is getting data into uh, AWS is always free. So there are egress when you take data out. Uh, there are egress charges uh, for bandwidth, but when you put data into uh, AWS, uh, there is uh, not, not a data transfer fee. So Internet VPN uh, ingest uh, works very, very uh, straightforward. Uh, you can ingest data directly in S3 buckets. Uh, and then one of the um, tricks that we'll share is uh, one, of the one of the things we talk to customers about is how do you move, again, this session is all about moving large amounts of data. So particularly when you have large files, uh, and for those customers that have maybe smaller files, we recommend uh, maybe aggregating those smaller files into larger files. There's something called uh, multi-part upload. 
So when we hear customers trying to upload uh, large amounts of data, uh, one of the things that we always talk about in terms of a best practice is use S3 multi-part upload. And this in particular is good for, for anything over a couple megabytes in size, where you're able to basically uh, take advantage of parallelism. So, so S3, um, by definition, by its nature, is a, a massively parallel uh, system that allows, uh, you know, basically multiple streams to be able to fed in, to be fed into the object store simultaneously. Well, you also have, if you back off and come from where you're coming from on-prem, you also have uh, constraints of getting data in as far as internet links. Uh, so something that allows you to take maximum advantage and fill your entire internet link, as well as take advantage of the parallelism of S3 is multi-part upload. And the way that that works is under the coverage, you basically specify uh, there's a multi-part upload option when you put a, a, a put request. Uh, and it, does, it breaks that file up that you're trying to upload uh, into many pieces and then parallelizes that upload. So that allows you, A, to fill the pipe, especially if you're going over longer latency links. What tends to happen is uh, you're, even if you have a, you know, a gigabit link, but if you're trying to, say, drive that over for those of you, um, you know, that are used to, say, running, say, one side of the country to the other, or especially over international links, if you're trying to, say, move a file from, um, you know, from the U.S. Uh, to a region in Europe, what will happen is the constraint isn't the Internet uh, link speed, but rather it's you can't fill the link itself because it's due to latency, due to uh, underlying you know, TCP properties. So for those of you that are familiar with networking issues, you'll understand exactly what I mean. So multi-part upload allows you to essentially fill that pipe along the way because you're essentially opening up multiple flows and multiple connections simultaneously. And then once it arrives in S3, it allows you to take advantage of the parallelism of S3. So you're kind of, if you will, um, you know, taking advantage of parallelism all the way through from the point where you're uploading all the way through and into S3. So just a little tip uh, in terms of getting lots of data up very quickly, even using standard Internet links. We had a, large, we had a customer, uh, they were uploading 20 petabytes of data. They did a large migration, and they used a combination of snowballs, but then the rest of the data was actually uploaded over the Internet using multi-part upload. So also dealing with latency and long distance, um, how many of you have a use case where you're trying to upload uh, files from many locations around the world into one region? Okay, you get a snowball magnet. <laughs> Hang on, look. Okay. <laughs> it's soft, it's soft, so. <laughs> I was at a, at a show in New York. Uh, somebody threw a hammer uh, out at the audience and said, catch, uh, um, last week. And, and, uh, and, and it was a rubber hammer, but it scared the crap out of me. So, uh, so, so I'm careful when I throw things now. Um, but so one of the things, um, so for your use case, uh, we, ha we created something called S3 Transfer Acceleration. So the idea is normally um, you have an endpoint and you upload over the internet. And what happens is you have latency, all the things that I talked about, the, you know, the vagaries of the internet. One day it works, one hour it works, one minute it works, and then you have a storm and all of a sudden your, your internet, uh, you know, basically you're gonna get inconsistent performance. So what S3 transfer acceleration does very simply is we use our Route 53 DNS lookup service and find the closest of the 59 global edge locations that we have uh, and takes a look and says, ah, you're in Europe, 
And instead of moving and transferring the data out over the internet, what we do is we transfer, we establish a connection with the local POP, uh, and then hop onto our backbone and transfer that then in a consistent, high-performance way back to the S3 bucket, in this case, uh, that's uh, in a region, say, across the world. And so uh, we use, actually, under the covers, CloudFront. How many of you have heard of CloudFront or CDN? Okay. So we use CloudFront's backbone. Uh, so same backbone, but we don't cache at the edge. So in terms of caching, if you think about a CDN and com coming out, we're not caching the data at the edge, but we are using that backbone, if you will, to provide a high-quality, consistent experience to move large files. So use cases for this in particular are like large media files uh, and other files that are uh, uploaded on a regular basis from many distributed points uh, around the world. And so how fast is it? We'll jump to this and then jump back. So the net of it for your takeaway, the rule of thumb is, if you're in the same region and you're trying to transfer, say, from US, in the US East to some region in US East, it's not going to help that much. But if you're trying to transfer from another part of the world, uh, say, from Singapore or from Sao Paulo uh, back to the US, again, the higher the latency, the bigger the benefit. And the best way to find out is try it yourself. Uh, the business model is it's either faster or it's free. So there's really no benefit, no, no drawback to trying S3 transfer acceleration. Uh, and in many cases, again, where you're trying to have many to one from many locations into one region, uh, it's, a, it's a great option for you uh, and something that we launched uh, earlier this year. So um, a good example, a few good examples, uh, one I'll pull out in particular is a company called Huddle. Uh, they do coaching videos. So uh, from professional sports leagues all the way to, uh, you know, little league, uh, coaches upload their videos uh, into and then they're processed and then can be shared for analysis later uh, into Huddle's, uh, which is powered by AWS. And so what Huddle uh, was able to do is from all these different locations uh, around the world, be able to take uh, the data, take these videos, and accelerate then their onboarding into AWS. So that's S3 transfer acceleration. I'm going to talk about Direct Connect. So, so transfer acceleration, we've gone through a, a couple options. Internet is great. It's flexible. It's easy. Uh, we talked about S3 transfer acceleration, which is from many to one. But what if you're a customer today, and many of you I know, because this is an enterprise track, are enterprise customers that still have, say, some workloads on-prem uh, and some workloads uh, in the cloud. If you are in that case, uh, it, you might want to take a look at Direct Connect, and I'm sure many of you. How many of you have already uh, provisioned a Direct Connect? Okay, quite a few, and I'm sure as you come on board, there might be you know, additional uh, use cases and additional folks that are going to be uh, provisioning Direct Connect. Direct Connect is great. You know, it's offered in a number of different uh, uh, configurations, but basically it's exactly what, uh, what, what the uh, name is, which is a direct connection from your location uh, to or in a cross-connect uh, to, uh, to an AWS, um, uh, into AWS. It can be, it's a dedicated one or 10 gig private link uh, you basically, the benefit is uh, you can get that consistent performance, number one. Uh, and number two, uh, when you are looking at uh, costs, if you will, especially if you're not distributing, if you're not a consumer-facing company and you're simply looking at getting data back and forth between your on-premise location, say, or several on-premise locations uh, and, uh, and AWS services, well, 
then if you establish a direct connect, the egress bandwidth price is significantly lower than just using uh, an internet connection. So again, it, it depends on if you have a lot of internet-facing, uh, consumer-focused applications, then probably a direct connect may or may not make sense for you. But if you're moving data back and forth between, say, corporate locations or workloads that require a lot of data movement between point A and point B, and it's point to point, then it makes a lot of sense. So it's a cross-connect. Uh, at your location, in, most likely uh, within a colo, so we're at Equinex and uh, similar, uh, similar uh, locations around the world. Uh, and uh, it's basically offered through a range of Direct Connect partners that we have around the world. At the location, you can see it's uh, really straightforward at the Direct Connect location. Uh, you can plug it in, it's cross-connect either 1 or 10 gig, uh, or you can have a dedicated port through a Direct Connect partner. Uh, so one thing, uh, and this is not really a direct connect feature, but I wanted to put it in here, uh, is uh, we're offering uh, EFS uh, through uh, direct connect. Uh, so this is something uh, that uh, we're going to be expanding the ability to do a hybrid network by offering EFS uh, directly over direct connect as well. So we've talked about connectivity. Let's move it up a little bit and talk about um, integrating for hybrid networks uh, for on-premise workloads where you just can't uh, write natively to S3 or S3 interfaces, right? So we have something, how many of you have heard of Storage Gateway or using Storage Gateway? Okay, I don't have that many hats, uh, so I'll just say thank you. Uh, yeah, but I'll ask some harder questions in a little bit. But Storage, storage Gateway is designed, it's an on, typically an on-premise virtual instance uh, that uh, is uh, VMware, um, Hyper-V. We also um, offer uh, our own AMI version of the existing storage gateway. Uh, and the idea behind storage gateway is that applications like backup, uh, which require maybe a VTL target, uh, or traditional applications that can't be re-architected or that are on-prem, uh, that can't be re-architected to use, say, the S3 native interface and just want to write to a, um, uh, a POSIX-compliant file system or to a VTL target, like a backup. Uh, they then can benefit from Storage Gateway. You set up a, an instance. You basically point, say, your HP data protector at the VTL target, and it just looks like a tape device. So, and then in behind the scenes, what Storage Gateway does uh, is translate that to HTTP, so RESTful interface, and then puts that data into an S3 bucket. And up until this week, uh, that was stored in what's called a private bucket, meaning uh, you, you got the advantage of being able to take advantage of cloud storage, but it wasn't accessible uh, in S3 in your own bucket. So what we've done is opened up that use case to something that we call file gateway. So we've added I talked about the two modes that we had before, which are iSCSI and also tape gateway, which is VTL for those backup use cases. And we've added this really, really, and this is, a, I think, one of, personally one of the most exciting uh, announcements for, for me coming out of the traditional enterprise world and coming into AWS, because this file gateway opens up now a whole host of additional applications and opportunities for customers, applications who are not natively written to the, that RESTful interface. And let me be specific. File gateway uh, is a new capability that provides an NFS mount point now, version 3 and version 4.1, uh, and this is available as a VMware image initially that gets installed on-site, on-prem, 
and then provides an NFS mount point for your applications to write to it. So that in itself is cool, is native NFS capability, because a lot of applications, uh, we're working with a number of customers, say in genome research or lab equipment, or you know, they're just, those applications aren't ever going to change to anything other than writing to a POSIX-compliant file system. The other thing I hear from customers is, certainly they could re-architect their application to write to S3 directly, uh, but they have 100 other priorities other than re-architecting their application to write to S3 for that particular application. It's just not a priority. So what, what file gate with the file mode now brings out is the ability to write to a local NFS mount point, number one. And number two, take that and then transparently write that uh, to a customer's S3 bucket. And so what does that really mean? Well, it allows this transparent mode to be able to write, say you have, so we have a great customer, they have lab equipment, they're writing text files, they're writing uh, so in, in, in media and other customers writing media files like an MPEG file, it will write that file into the local NFS mount point, translate that, and basically it'll end up and, and show up in a customer's S3 bucket. Then, um, for example, with our media customers, they can kick off a Lambda function and kick off a transcode. Uh, or some of our big data customers now can take that data and incorporate it in their data lake to, create, to kick off an EMR job, for example. So the key difference and the, the new capability that we're introducing, that we've introduced this week, uh, is now that transparent capability to be able to do a one-to-one -one file mapping of your file to object uh, in your S3 bucket. And so if you look out either our old gateway or any other third-party solutions out there, what they typically do is they'll present an NFS mount point, but they will then, if you look at under the covers on S3, you'll just see basically aggregated blobs of data in an object, but you're not going to be able to do anything with that object unless you pull it back out via the same gateway. So what this new file gateway interface allows you to do is basically take advantage, manipulate that data in its native form, and then open the world of AWS services. The second thing it allows you to do is migrate, right? So all the other solutions out there, ours included, are great if you want to use essentially S3 as a tiering option for lower cost storage. But if you are in the process of migrating your workloads and migrating to the cloud, they really don't help you there because you have to pull the data back out again, and then you'd have to migrate it up a different way. So with File Gateway, it offers both, right? You can move the data and migrate the data, and if you want to cut the cord at some time, you can as well. So two customers that are using us today, they're two examples, and we can dive a little bit deeper, are Moderna. They're a great customer that's using us for, uh, they, they're the lab equipment customer that I was talking about. So they have, you know, lab equipment with firmware that can write to a POSIX file system and really can't change that. So now they have the ability to write to a local NFS mount point uh, and then manipulate and take advantage of the workflows and elastic compute that we have in the cloud. A second customer of ours and partner is Veristore, and they're using us to offer, they're using this in a variety of ways to offer uh, um, file gateway services uh, into AWS. And there's a specific session I encourage you to go to that's only on Gateway called STG213 for a deeper dive on this as well. You can tell I'm excited about it because uh, it's opening up, I think, a world of possibilities uh, for workloads for everybody in this room. So, Snowball. 
Okay, here's the trick. So what's the new capacity for Snowball that we just introduced? Okay, you were kind of the first one, just probably because you're the closest and I can't hear that well. So you're, you're lucky. So, so kind of like those shows where you go and you're going to wear the raincoat in the front. Uh, so it's kind of like that. You're lucky. In this case, it's the opposite, I guess. So you get, you get a magnet. Uh, so with Snowball, uh, when, when we introduced Snowball, the design center was for batch uploads, right? So for customers that are trying to migrate their data uh, in you know, in mass. So we've had customers, I've personally worked with customers that have uh, moved two, ten, one customer that just finished up a 20 petabyte migration from on-prem, uh, from a range of on-prem arrays uh, and tape libraries into S3 using Snowball. Uh, so the original design point uh, was 50 terabytes when we introduced it. We upped it earlier this year to 80 terabytes. It is an integrated uh, uh, e-shipping label. So uh, we had uh, one customer, they said, well, you know, they wanted to put on a shipping label on the outside and stick that. And we said, no, well, Snowball does that automatically. And so it's really from a workflow perspective. Uh, we'll go through that in a minute. But basically, when you power it off after your job is done, it, it puts a return shipping label automatically using an e-ink display, also known as a Kindle, uh, that allows it to automatically ship back uh, for processing. So it's rust and uh, it's rust. It's uh, rain and dust. I guess it's rain and dust together. It's I don't know that it's rust resistant, but it's rain and dust resistant. Uh, it's tamper resistant, and probably most importantly, is all data is encrypted end to end. So um, really, uh, what with Snowball, we've introduced some additional uh, capabilities. Uh, so we introduced the 80 terabyte model eight earlier this year. We introduced new APIs. So some of the um, cool new capabilities are for those of you that are big data customers that are, say, Hadoop or HDFS users, we introduced some a native uh, HDFS capability. We also opened it up to third parties. So back in August, we announced uh, that Commvault um, and others had integrated, uh, and uh, we're constantly announcing others for this third-party API. Uh, and then we're announcing HIPAA support as well uh, for Snowball. So for uh, healthcare use cases, obviously, that's critical. Uh, the other thing that we announced and committed to at the beginning of this year was that we would make uh, Snowball available uh, in additional regions throughout 2016. So now Snowball is available uh, in all regions around the world except for the ones shown, which is Singapore, Seoul, and uh, Beijing. So Snowball, the best thing is it's super simple. Uh, Snowball, you basically go into your console, you order it, it shows up. Uh, you copy over the files. You basically can, you have a number of different options now available, but typically customers have a client uh, that runs on a server. They copy over their files. Uh, it's all, they have their own, so you can use your own keys. Uh, they're encrypted from the time that it leaves all the way into the snowball through transport of the snowball. Then, as I said, you power it down when your job is completed. Uh, it automatically, it doesn't automatically ship. That would be super cool if it actually walked out by itself, but it does everything but that. Uh, it puts on an e-ink display with the return shipping label. It ships back, and within a few days, however long it takes to ship back plus ingest time, uh, then it will appear in your bucket. So a little bit of a comparison, and this is before the 100 terabyte uh, release, uh, but to kind of give you an idea of comparison, again, for these batch moves, of how many days it takes to move data before and after Snowball. Uh, so you know, if you're looking at, and, and any one of us, you know, are you really, if you have a one gig or a 500 megabit per second link, let's just take a one gig link, uh, typically you're not going to dedicate that entire link 
uh, to transferring your data. I was, um, we had a conversation with a customer yesterday, and uh, he said his wife was uh, uploading all the images, a terabyte of data, uh, and it took down you know, their entire home network. You know, nothing else was working. They couldn't, you know, there was no access to internet, there was no access to uh, cable, there was no access to uh, any of the services that you know, we've come to depend on. So you don't want to take up the entire one gig capacity. Typically, you don't want to do that to your business either. So you know, depending on whether you could say you're going to de dedicate 25, 50% or 70% uh, or 75% of the utilization, you can see the amount of days that it takes uh, to ship uh, the uh, comparable amount of data uh, of 200 terabytes um, over um, over uh, the, the one gig link. So for example, assuming you want to dedicate half your bandwidth, which is a lot, it's still going to take you about 36 days uh, to move that data. Assuming, again, back to point earlier, that it's a fairly low latency connection, because then, again, with high latency, all these numbers could double, triple, or quadruple. So again, Snowball, um, in a prior life, I worked at a WAN optimization company, uh, and Snowball is this really cool, unique uh, solution that AWS has come out with, listening to our customers trying to move data over the wire by eliminating, essentially, the WAN link, by getting around uh, the, the WAN link, the next generation of sneakernet, if you will, with Snowball. So Scripps is a great example who used Snowball uh, for a large migration, so a lot of media customers use us. Uh, so massively scalable ingestion, petabyte scale support, uh, and what Scripps used us for was moving a number of media files uh, from their on-prem archive into AWS. So we started there. We talked about uh, Snowball and, uh, as a transfer vehicle. What we've done with Snowball, and we're calling it Snowball Edge, and that's uh, one of the, the magnets here, We've kind of smushed it down and stretched it out a little bit in terms of form factor, but we've increased it to 100 terabytes of capacity. Uh, we have also added some new capabilities and some new integration points. We talked to customers, uh, and customers were asking for additional interface points other than having uh, just uh, the existing uh, Snowball client. So what we've done is we've added NFS capability natively to it. Uh, so, and then we've also added, for those customers that want to write to an S3 endpoint, I think you saw Andy's presentation this morning, we've provided that capability as well. So any application that can write to S3 uh, can do it. The big thing that we've done uh, is also add the ability to run uh, some, uh, some compute functions on board. So essentially we've provided uh, you heard Greengrass earlier, so we provide a Greengrass support on uh, Snowball, uh, and that allows us the ability then to run Lambda functions. So now you can think the evolution of Snowball is not only as a transfer vehicle, uh, but it's also the ability, as if you think about kind of the different uh, applications and use cases, you have a collection, and you might want to do processing uh, independent or prior to uploading uh, into the cloud. So the kinds of use cases you can think about now with the new version of Snowball Edge are offline staging. So we work with a number of companies that are in the oil and gas industry where you know, they're on oil rigs or uh, you're out on a ship somewhere and you don't have really good connectivity, but maybe you want to do local processing. Uh, you have different IoT applications. Andy talked about uh, some of our partners uh, that have windmills or other alternative, just far out, really bad connectivity where they want to collect and process, uh, but they don't necessarily have the internet connectivity or any internet connectivity uh, until uh, you know they, they ship uh, they back the device. 
uh, local tiering and compute. So this is an emerging area where if you thought about Snowball simply as a transfer vehicle. Uh, now we have the ability to actually, and again with the clustered mode of Snowball, the ability to do some very interesting compute and processing functions. Uh, and then lo local transformation. So a good example of this, and we're going to be highlighting this in another session, which is a deep dive on STG214. So Philips is using uh, this. So in hospital environments where you have a higher resolution, say, DICOM image, X-ray uh, image, and you want to transform that and have, uh, say, a lower res uh, image uh, created along with extraction of metadata. So all of that now can be done semi-autonomously uh, and processed prior to shipping back you know, the larger images into AWS. And if it's not big enough, we have Snowmobile. So what's the... Uh, what would you say, what's the design capacity for Snowmobile? I uh, heard a couple over there. Again, here. <laughs> okay. Okay, you guys be honest. I don't remember where it was, but I heard the mumbling over here. So, <laughs> okay. Great. And what's the length? Who was the loudest? That was, uh, I think it was, was it you in the green? Okay, okay, great. Here we go. <laughs> I'm getting, oh, that's awesome, good. It's not a hammer, it's, it's light, it flies, so. Yeah, so we're pretty excited. Not everybody's going to take advantage of Snowmobile, but it really shows uh, the, the capabilities. Uh, and, you know, honestly, if you're looking at uh, 100 petabytes, that's obviously perhaps on the high end for many customers, uh, and it's actually not on the high end. We have customers that are looking at moving exabytes in uh, into AWS. But really, if you're looking at any kind of double-digit uh, tens of petabytes, uh, rather than having number of snowballs and actually can take snowballs and we have and run them in parallel so that's what customers have been doing today uh, but it, by the time you get maybe 10 15 20 petabytes uh, that's really where you might want to think about having a snowmobile uh, and so that is available now and uh, please if you have an opportunity uh, we'd love to talk to you about it so we've talked about some of the native capabilities uh, with AWS uh, and we've talked about uh, some of the um, uh, you know, some of our own solutions as far as uh, uh, one-time uh, solutions, as far as uh, uh, um, batch mode, as far as ongoing with uh, Direct Connect. But we also have a range of storage ecosystem partners that we've partnered with. So the use cases that we try to segment some of our third-party partners into uh, are backup so this is one of the big use cases. If um, you talk to uh, CIOs, uh, one of the top use cases for cloud that we hear uh, is disaster recovery and, and backup. So over the last year, uh, we've really um, worked very closely with a number of the traditional enterprise backup and data protection vendors to provide very tight integration uh, into to make uh, AWS a, a great backup and disaster recovery target. So um, you can see some of the backup vendors uh, that are available direct or through our AWS storage VTL mode. So the way that that works, uh, you uh, have a backup uh, vendor. You're normally uh, targeting an on-site tape library or a tape library alternative uh, that supports a VTL, and essentially we look like a tape library. So the vendors that, and that you see listed uh, support AWS through that mode. We have another set of customers or partners that have taken the additional step of integrating natively with AWS. So, for example, those customers of your, that are, say, Commvault or Veritas uh, or 
uh, uh, Legato Networker, now EMC Networker. Uh, we have now the ability to have direct integration with those products. So we have a number of customers where they're simply backing up today to on-prem, and now they can take advantage and simply literally point the fire hose, so to speak, uh, at AWS S3 as a target. Uh, I'll point out uh, Commvault has taken the additional step and a number of others uh, will in the future to be able to uh, take advantage not only of S3 as a target, but then also be able to kind of tier and use the uh, AWS S3 lifecycle management to lifecycle down to Glacier. What that allows customers to do then is take advantage of the different tiers and the cost efficiencies of the tiers where you don't need the data, say, very quickly, uh, and you want to basically have it by definition when, in, in the case of a disaster or when you want to restore it and when, and when there's a data loss then, but you don't want to pay to have that data hot. Uh, you can tier that um, through uh, the solution offered by Commvault and others. So that's kind of the backup use case. Uh, a second use case uh, for hybrid uh, is file systems. So I think we talked about our own gateway, so that's definitely a, a good use case where you can have a little bit of hot cache data and then have those objects appear uh, in S3 uh, natively. Um, but a lot of customers uh, have other use cases. So, so one of the big use cases we hear from customers is, you know, I really want to have some high-performance NAS still on-prem, uh, but then be able to take advantage of the cloud for essentially this overflow pool of storage uh, for cost efficiencies uh, for other reasons. So we have a number of solutions from NetApp, from a company called Avere, from Zotera, uh, that allow you to do that use case or have that use case, which is a, you know, one site, if you will, and tiering that out to the cloud. So um, NetApp actually has uh, two different, uh, two or three different options. They have uh, a product called AltaVault uh, that is more of a backup use case. Um, they also have uh, the ability uh, to synchronize essentially an R-Sync kind of capability uh, in their ONTAP operating system, and we're collaborating with them uh, even more on some future solutions where they'll be able to uh, extend and tier uh, in their, their capabilities into the cloud. If you have a solution where you have multiple sites, so how many of you have a, have a use case where you have, say, multiple sites that want to be able to access locally via SIFS interface uh, and then be able to have the back end in the cloud? Okay, so you get the snowball magnet. You already got one? Okay, who else has one? Okay, this gentleman on the end. You got it? That one's a little heavier, watch out. Okay, so good, didn't poke an eye out. Um, so we have solutions like Panzura, uh, and uh, Nasuni and others that offer this kind of distributed file system capability where uh, you then have an office, say 20 offices around the world. It presents a local file system, local SIFS interface, but it's back-ended uh, by AWS. So that's kind of a, a second use case. Uh, object storage, so being able to have this hybrid object storage uh, use case is interesting for customers who want to have a little bit on-prem uh, and a little bit in the cloud. So we have partners in that. Uh, and then block storage options as well uh, from VMware uh, and others. So kind of to walk through a couple of the use cases, because again, this we now, I think if you looked you know, a few years ago, uh, we, the only way to get data uh, into AWS uh, uh, for a backup use case was via our VTL gateway solution. Now, over the last year, uh, we have virtually all the backup vendors, all the data protection vendors have native integrations. Uh, so you're going to think about those are the two real use cases that backup vendors and data protection uh, vendors offer for integration. You can either have, uh, again, a native cloud connector, 
or you can use one of these cloud gateways, either our own or a third party. So again, I think from a use case perspective about getting data into AWS, uh, there are now a number of different solutions to support all of these traditional on-site uh, data protection mechanisms and vendors, uh, and many offer direct. For those that don't offer direct, we offer then the ability to support that via our gateway or via a third-party gateway. So to kind of summarize the different solutions that we have that offer that uh, our, our customers are looking for in terms of moving and migrating data, uh, either one time or many times uh, into the cloud. Uh, first of all, for migration, bursting, say, for bursting capacity or tiering, our own storage gateway that we've introduced uh, just with the new capabilities for NFS provides a great capability for that. Uh, if you want simply to have uh, migration and bursting capability, uh, we offer this extension of EFS via Direct Connect. And again, uh, that allows you uh, to mount an NFS mount point on-prem uh, via our Direct Connect. So if you have a Direct Connect today, you'll see an NFS mount point and put data into EFS. It's not really a tiering. Yep, go ahead. Uh, excuse me? Today it's NFS, uh, NFS uh, v4 and v4.1, uh, but uh, Windows support, SMB support is on the roadmap. Good, good question. Yeah, let's see, do I have a... Uh, you want a trucker hat? Okay, okay, I think I got one more magnet. There we go. Snowball Edge is great for all three use cases, and then if we don't have the solution, we're going to offer it via a third party. And again, with AWS, what we want to do is provide you, you know, it's not a one-size, we get it, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution for everybody. Uh, you all have different requirements in terms of moving data, whether it's one-time, uh, whether it's bursting, whether it's tiering. So if you think about uh, the different use cases, uh, it, you'll likely map to one of these use cases. Um, so... Other sessions that you want to think about uh, for uh, related sessions, uh, we have Deep Dive on Snowball Edge. Uh, we have STG 214 and Enterprise 211 for the Enterprise Track. Snowmobile, uh, STG 214 and Enterprise 211 as well. And then Storage Gateway, especially I think will be very interesting, is 213 and Enterprise 211. And so with that, I'm going to leave about uh, 10 minutes uh, or so for Q&A.